0: Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 27 of the podcast, the topic is Industry 4.0 Tools and Analytics. Our guest is Carl B. March, Director Industry 4.0 at Stanley, Black & Decker. In this conversation, we talk about what Industry 4.0 means, the importance of upskilling the entire manufacturing industry, and the lessons from Stanley Bleckendecker's digital transformation journey. Augmented is a podcast for leaders, hosted by futurist Trond Arnundheim, presented by Tulip.co, the frontline operations platform, and associated with MFG.Works, the manufacturing upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast.
1: Carl, how are you I'm today? doing great, Trond, Good to see you.
0: Yeah, this is fantastic. We, we spent a lot of times together, Carl. We've gotten to know each other. This uh, Industry 4.0 uh, is, is bringing us together. <laughs> Quite
1: a bit, and, and there's just so, so much going on in the space, especially here in New England. So um, it's, it's an exi- exciting time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Carl, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about you and your background. Sure. Y- you're an engineer, um, and now you're deeply, see, you know, steeped in in industry 4.0 what maybe i'll just ask that question how, why did you become an engineer and, and you know how, how how did you end up where you are right now was it an obvious path for you or did you always want to go into kind of manufacturing yeah I, I
1: guess from the beginning i was always a tinker um so i'm um, just in growing up and um and hanging around um, mechanical equipment um, my, my desire was always to, um, break and fix. Um, so, um, eventually I got, <laughs> um, I got wind of a teacher who, you know, in fact, it was my music teacher yeah, and I, and he asked me, what did I want to do? I said, yeah, I wanted to, you know, break and fix equipment and do all of these things. And he said, well, you want to be a mechanical engineer. Uh, so I kept that with me from maybe nine years old and, um, that's the path I went Um, eventually I did my first degree mechanical engineering, and then eventually I did an automotive systems engineering graduate
0: degree. Wow, and so then, in the beginning uh you were you were headed for the automotive industry
1: yeah, yeah it, it was always um a desire around cars um uh, my father um he had old cars that needed to be fixed and um where i'm from um where we're in the in the Caribbean I'm from Jamaica originally um you know it, it it was one of those luxuries that you had where you just um disposed of your your vehicles once they start um you know given some problems so we fixed the cars that's all, that, that's that's what we had to do and and
0: it's 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 it, it so you ended up with a bunch of cars then not not just fixing them but you ended up with a bunch that are exactly yes.
1: and, and taking parts remember. from one yeah. and putting on the other
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 oh that's funny that's funny Well, so you did that for a while and you were in automotive, uh, you know, which is an exciting field Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Um, And and then you went into consulting for a bit as well. So you've done done a little bit of... uh,
1: Yeah, so the um, the interesting thing is once I did my first degree, which was mechanical engineering, I had the opportunity to start working in the manufacturing environment. And I actually started off in uh, mining and refining. Um, So I was in um, aluminum refining for a while. Um, And then I went back and did the automotive degree. And then coming out of that, um, it was the wonderful time in Detroit where um, everything was a bit uncertain. So um, though I I started off in automotive there, after that degree, um, I went back to my roots of reliability engineering, which is more along the lines of operational excellence in the manufacturing
0: environment. You know, it's it's kind of fascinating today because automotive has gone full it has. circle. It really yeah. has, right? It's it's like it's no nobody who's who would <laughs> you guess that automotive was going to go from like glory days to like it's all over to a renaissance of mobility. Oh yeah, um, so I, I've
1: I've gotten the opportunity to observe that, um, especially as a consultant, as I eventually went into consulting. Um, um, more than half of my 20 plus years um, in manufacturing has been in a consulting space. Um, So um, while consulting um, that's where I really started to see many sectors um, you know from the very advanced sectors in aerospace and automotive um, down to you know what we call basic materials which is you know going back to the dirt you know the mining and the refining um, pieces and just seeing that the the, the range of technology um, adoption um, um, across all fields uh, as it relates to operational excellence was was an eye opener for me um, and then you know when I think about you know this topic of Industry 4.0 um, which really has not been that old it's not a, it's not an old topic um, it really came about in 2011 or so right um which was the mid mid of my consulting career and that's when i made a pivot in in my consulting um where i started to focus a lot more on um the technology enablement um within within these respective spaces
0: hmm. well let's uh let's dig deeper into it because you're indeed uh you know, you were Stanley Leckendecker, You you run a lot of their Industry 4.0 activities, especially on the analytics and the value stream stream mm-hmm. side. Um, but let's let's get into the topic more because, as you said, 2011 is not a long time ago, and I hear Industry 4.0, by the way, seems to going to be more of a European term than a, an American term. Here it's like yeah, smart manufacturing yeah. because manufacturing is the, is the main thing. But Stanley, y- you guys somehow chose the international term for uh, Industry 4.0. Why don't you, for the benefit of all of us, just tell us how you define it.
1: What, what okay, is it? so Industry 4.0 is just um, terminology referring to the fourth industrial revolution right um so um it it stems back to um you know the, the the first industrial revolution having to do with um you know um you know mass production and and steam um being used as as a driver um then eventually it went into um the second where we started to um get some computers in the space and um started to um you know be able to take advantage of some of those things. The third, having to do more with automation. Um, so we started to put a lot more robots and robotics um, within, the, within the, the manufacturing space, right? Um, and, and interestingly, then we started to do a, a little bit more sensorization. Um, but um, in, in, in the 2011 or 2010 period of time, that's when we, we started to make a lot of advances in big data um, cyber physical systems so that's where those applications started to come into the manufacturing environment um, um, ai art- artificial intelligence anything related to analytics um, in the manufacturing environment that's where we're starting to consider um the uh industry 4.0 um and um one other thing, I mean, there, there are probably three main elements for, that differentiates the fourth industrial revolution from um, its predecessors. Um, one is vertical integration. Um, verti- vertical integration is what we call from the top floor to the shop floor. You're, you're able to um, pass data back and forth um, and get information on what's happening at any given time um, at whatever level it is in, in, your, in your production process. The second is horizontal integration, and that's where you start to look across your value chain. So you're looking at data um, coming from your supplier and data coming from your customer and, and data within your own manufacturing environment. And then the third one is integrated product lifecycle. So this is, this is um, one of the, 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 the most interesting pieces of um, Industry 4.0 is in that you're actually getting feedback even though the customer doesn't even know you're getting that feedback. And you're getting feedback into your product lifecycle, um, your product design, um, and you're designing it to manufacture well, and you're designing it to, to basically fulfill the purpose of the end consumer. So all of that, that, that feedback loop that's, that's taking place there um, and what enables it is a part of what we refer to as Industry 4.0.
0: That's super interesting. And and can you comment a little bit on how that translates then into uh, Stanley Beckendecker's digital transformation journey? Mm. Because, you know, arguably... Uh, And I meant to have it here. I have, you know, I have a bunch of power tools (laughs) in my arsenal. (laughs) I might actually run and go get that. Uh, But, you know, they weren't always uh, digital. Uh, You know, mine happens to be battery Mm -hmm. operated. And hopefully I can uh, run and get it in a second. I really wanted it in this tape. Um, But it has been a journey for you as well. And and I guess it's a continuing journey because sensors and all that stuff, right? it, It takes quite a bit to transform an entire kind of suite of products into uh, into a set of connected, arguably kind of industry for tools. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, where would you say you guys are in that transformation process and how ready is the world for a fully kind of sensorized reality where where everything is connected? I mean, this kind of... Mm, I guess, the, the maximal vision of, of Industry 4.0, which is this idea of, uh, you know, industrial internet of things where everything is starting to kind of connect and, and yield analytics. Because you sort of, you took the, um, in some, I mean, these are also it difficult is. things to do, right? The the, the vertical integration, all of the, these things are, are difficult. But this full vision um we are a step away from that so far, right? This this full sensor. Yeah, of it's it's
1: not all. It has not all become a reality as yet, right? And and as you can imagine, the maturity and um, is going to be different depending on the sector, the industry, um, uh, that that you're dealing with, right? Um, but you know, if we if we if I was to look back for a second on on the journey that we've had at Standard Black and Decker. Um, I joined the company um, maybe about three years ago um, when we made um, uh, a very interesting pivot in in, in the way that we're approaching Industry 4.0. I'll speak on that in a second. Um, But prior to that point in time, Stanley Black & Decker has always been um, an innovator um, in the space, right? Um, We we, we do make tools and um, we're the number one tools company in the world. Um, but we also um, serve a lot of our um, other businesses, um, automotive and aerospace in particular, in providing fasteners, etc. Right, um, and as as a result of this um, this diversity. Um, you know, it, it was it made sense for a company like ours with 100 plus sites um, to to be able to start working in smart manufacturing. And the, the, the process was that there were a couple of chosen sites that 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 were given a bit more license um, to to integrate Industry 4.0 elements within their 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 um, their four walls, and they were referred to as lighthouse factories. So it was very decentralized, um, not very um, organized from the standpoint of um, having certain standard that has to s- would scale well, right? Um, and this is where we started to see a lot of productivity gains, efficiencies um, in within those sites. Then in two thousand and seventeen. Um, we did a study internally and, and determined that, you know, let's go after this um, with, with, in the right way, which is to organize ourselves to have a program. Um, and that's as a result of organizing and this program. That's where I came in as one of, um, uh, the, one of the, the first few I- hires. Um, uh, within the program to centralize what we're doing. And then I ended up leading our analytics value stream. We also had value streams related to connected factory automation, etc. Um, And that's where we started to, to go after it um, in the right way. And I think as a result of that, um, the, the gains that we've had and the learnings that we've had over the past three year- years have been tremendous. And if you compare this to, The typical approach, especially that I've seen um, in my consulting years, is that um, there's a term that was coined by either McKinsey or the World Economic Forum, I can't remember now, but um, called pilot purgatory. Um, A lot of companies, I observed, they'll start something, they'll start one use case here, another use case there, nothing linked. And um, they'll do some form of pilot, but it never scales um it will it would fizzle out in some way somebody would move on from one role to the next. The interest isn't there, so as a result of that they would they will they will continuously stay in the same place and there would be no roadmap for movement
0: and how do you avoid that uh destiny of the pilot purgatory. There are many theories on how to do that. And I would say probably every manager of some seniority would say, yeah, yeah, I, I know about that issue. We don't have that <laughs> issue here.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and, but, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, it's, it's very easy to fall into pilot purgatory because first of all, it, the fir- it, it's very easy to, to move after the first uh, shiny object or the next shiny object that um, catches our eye. That's just the way human nature is. Um, one of the things that we've done, um, we've learned, um, is the value of having a strategic roadmap, right? Um, and especially related to Industry 4.0. So um, one of the things that I'm currently working on with, um, with our um, small to medium-sized enterprises, small to medium-sized manufacturers, is we're trying to enable them with uh, two things. One is to assess yourselves, right? Um, and we, we are currently using a framework from um, uh, Singapore um, called Siri, which is Smart Industry Readiness Index. Um, we're making that um, available to our small to medium-sized enterprises for us to work with them on the assessing where are you with respect to these 16 dimensions of Industry 4.0, right? Um, and you don't need to be at the very top band, for every, every, any one of these, really, you need to look at where you are with respect to peers, with respect to the best practices, and with respect to where you need to be to meet your business objectives. So once you do the assessment, it, we are able to filter that out in terms of what should be prioritized uh, on the strategic roadmap. The second thing that we're offering um, is... Given what we've done so far, we have a wealth of experience in this space, as well as what we've gathered um, uh, in terms of partners who have been giving us use cases that can apply to these 16 dimensions. We're then able to work with the manufacturer to then um, specify this is what your roadmap should look like over the next three to five years, if that's your planning horizon, right? Um, you focus on these elements first, these dimensions first, but more specifically, these specific use cases and these use cases are foundational. Um, these use cases will provide you with some return that will help to fund the rest of your program, etc. So I think those two things between the assessment and having a strategic roadmap um, are, are critical enablers um, to avoiding um, this pilot purgatory.
0: That's fantastic. We'll we'll talk a little more about Siri hopefully later because it relates to the work you and I are are doing with the World Economic Forum and and our Am Hub network and we're we, we're hoping to bring it to bring it in really uh, uh, to play in New England uh, you know across the the sector. But before we mm-hmm. get to that, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about this physical manufacturing oh, yeah. four point yes. facility where. I believe you actually work out of sometimes in, in Hartford, this, uh, I guess, 23,000 square foot center. So it's a physical kind of advanced manufacturing center, like a its own little kind of demo uh, demo factory and training center also, I guess, for, for your smart factory initiatives. How, how did that get yeah. started? What, well, you know, it's the middle of the pandemic, but w- w- what do you intend to use it for? And what were you using it for before the pandemic? Because I'm assuming you've had a... Quiet period, like oh, <laughs> yes, we have
1: we have we've had quite a quiet period over the past year um, and some. Um, but um, it, in 2019, um, we opened the space, um, and uh, what what we actually did, um I'm referring back to when we started to go about this in a different way in 2017. Um, we had um, one of our, well, our key leader, Sudhi Bangalore, was brought in um, from. Um, from the outside to to lead this program, and um, he, he was uh, named the VP of our Industry 4.0. Since then, he has been he has been also um, named the CTO for global operations. But um, this is one of um, was one of Sudi's visions in that we would not only have the team to do this um, in, in Industry 4.0 enablement um, in in a standardized and centralized way, but we would also have a, a, a have a innovation space right um that you can physically touch feel um experience um the elements of industry 4.0 all the way from um automation so you see the robotics you'll see the auto the automated uh, mobile robots um you'll see the the the, the the automated conveyors um the, the 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 Machine centers, all of these things, and, and as well as data flowing back and forth and and the analytics being displayed, all of these things were intended to be experienced because um, within our own factory network, um, you know the expectation was that you know some of what we we'll be trying to um, get to our sites would be new, right um, and uh, we wanted to make sure that individuals, especially plant leaders. Um, would be able to come in and really feel and experience what good looks like. Um, at the same time, um, it was also a vision of our, our, for our CEO um, as well as um, a CFO to to u- to use the space within the Hartford. And it was it was cho- it was chosen Hartford it was chosen as a location for a specific reason um, because we wanted to work with the city, we wanted to work with um with um with the state. Around making Hartford um, some central innovation hub um, for for New England and hopefully the nation, um, so that's where this this space came into being. And it was and we had a grand opening in um, April of 2019. Um, so it was not it was always intended for us internally, but it was always intended for the public um, in in a measured way to be able to come in and experience it. And then finally, I'd probably say that, you know, in terms of what we're thinking going forward, you know, we hope to get back into the space sometime soon. We hope to obviously reopen to uh, manufacturers in the region. Um, But then we also want to um, be able to utilize more of our partners um, as well, uh, our technology partners, so that they too can, um, you know, show some of their solutions in the space
0: as well you know it's uh it's so important i think to you, to emphasize that technology is bec- well be- because of the danger in the shiny in the shiny objects that you just addressed before that it is precisely f- for that reason right be- because you you know when you have this experiential experiential sense of what the technology can accomplish. And on the, on the shop floor, there is so much of that, right? Robots, right? It's, it's very visceral. It's very visual and tactile. Um, you can clearly much more easily see how you, you, you could adopt it. So it sounds uh, quite important to to have a, a demo, demo factory Absolutely. like that. How, what do you think is the path forward? So you said you guys are engaging... With a bunch of different actors that are not your sort of o- obvious partners, you, you're engaging with SMEs in a deep, deeper way than before. You're also, uh, you know, you have startup engagements, but at a very early stage with uh, the Stanley and Techstars Accelerator. So you're engaging, you know, with organizations that are very different. Than the, mother, than the mothership. Why are you, do you have such a distributed strategy? Yeah,
1: so um, I think it, it, a lot of this comes from the, the innovative culture that we, that we live in. We recognize that innovation comes from many places, right, disparate sources. And we recognize that we, we, know, we won't know everything. We, we don't know everything. And especially when we're trying to break new ground, we need to be able to tap into um, all the resources that we can in order to do so in a, in, a, in a relatively um, efficient but also agile and quick way, right? So, a couple of years, um, probably also coinciding with the twenty seventeen uh, 2017 time period, we, we started um, working with a group called Techstars, um, and uh, as as some might know, Techstars is international is an international organization that that basically incubates um, uh, relatively new startups. And help them along the way, um, and um, there's some partial investment um, generally um, with the program. Um, but uh, you know, our first our first round of um, investments um, in TechStars um, it it uh, it was companies that were focused on additive manufacturing. Right. Um, the current round, which is um, just completed, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, it it had um, cohorts that were related to um, uh, artificial intelligence, analytics mostly. Um, and um, we had a couple of um, uh, robotics ones in there as well, um, low-code robots, um, which, which all of this is really to ensure that we're able to keep a pulse on everything that's going on. So to your earlier question about the shiny object, um, n- take it, noticing the shiny object is not a bad thing. Because you have to keep your pulse on, uh, on, on what's going on, right? Um, and as people innovate and as more and more people enter the space and as more things are, uh, you know, democratized and commoditized, um, you want to make sure that you're able to um, pull in what's needed at any given time. So that's what we've been trying to do on, on different, in different ways. Within our Industry 4.0 program specifically, within our TechSARS tech program. And then we also have um, another group called Stanley Ventures, which also directly invests in some startups as well. So um, we're, we're doing it from um, multiple fronts.
0: That's that's interesting. I wanted to get into the learning aspect, and, and maybe the, the humbling part here is bo- both for you and I, and I'll speak for myself, but we're expected to sort of both be experts on Industry developments, and then simultaneously be evangelists for the same, for the same, which is sort of two intermixed roles in, in industry always. But it's complicated. How how do you feel like you are able to stay on top of all these things? Because it's the one thing as as a company, as Stanley, to have all these investments, to have all these things available theoretically, you know, that you could pull from. But then now, as an individual, I just wanted you to address. Uh, how how you just to take that as an example how how do you engage because um, you know you and I are 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 both engaged you know and we're supposed to be, be those leaders and we are building networks that we'll get into us in a second that are helping us do that but how do you reflect around your own ability to to cut this balance between looking at all the shiny objects making sure you don't miss any of them and then advising. In not only your company and implementing stuff, but then also be an advisor to the general ecosystem about what is worth looking at what, where, and where are things in the maturity scale to keep everything kind of calibrated.
1: Yeah, and, and it, it, it can be difficult. Um, and that's where we have to strike a balance, right? Um, when, we did, when we started off our program, we recognized that we couldn't build everything internally. Um, so we had to rely on a, a robust partner ecosystem. Um, probably having somewhere close to 30 plus different partners doing any one given thing at any one time. Right. Um, and then, you know, the learning that we got from that was that as a result of that, we were able to get in, we were able to get further quicker. We're able to understand a little bit more, um, about the space, um, and, and what's, what's truly revolutionary and what isn't right. Um, And then we've recognized over time that, you know, we we still have to have some portion of our time still spent evaluating what's new and and, and coming out. Now, the problem for um, we're able to do that um, because we are organized in a way to do that. And we have processes around that. And we have individuals who are more focused on innovation versus versus deployment Um, and. We're probably able to do that because um, we're a larger company, and um, you know this is just how we're set up. Now, the, the concern that we have is for 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 manufacturing in general is that um, the majority of the space is ha- is, is made up of um, small to medium sized enterprises, which don't have that this luxury, right? Um, they have um, very few individuals.
0: I mean, it's just not possible. If
1: it's not possible for them to do it, which is why um, you know we've made the pivot and and said to ourselves, you know, if if we're trying to uplift the entire system, and as you say, a rising tides um, lift all boats, right? Um, if we're uh, to uplift the entire manufacturing sector and the manufacturing ecosystem, you know, we need to focus on those who make up the majority of it, which is ninety five percent plus um, small to medium size enterprise, um, and we can we can filter through some of the, the noise for them. And what, how we do that is, is provide a consolidated technology map um, against a framework so that uh, they don't have to go through the, the the filtering and figuring out what's good, what's not, um, how much is this going to be worth to me, et cetera, because we've actually done some of that for, on our own. And then we just provide to them that based on where you are, and your dimensions that you need to focus on, these are the four or five use cases for that specific dimension. Now let's talk through and filter. let's cut to the chase here. How much will this be worth to you, right? And What will be the return on your investment based on what this costs and based on what it will give back to you in terms of um, impact value? And I think being able to assist in that way um, I think is is critical um, to getting um, you know getting uh, everyone else um, a bit more involved in Industry 4.0. Right
0: yeah, and to that point, right? You and I are both engaged in uh, so one of those 30 partners. I'm assuming you would count the World Economic Forum as part of those. And you know, you and I are both engaged in the advanced manufacturing platform. There, <laughs> there are a bunch of initiatives. And, you know, we're not going to cover. All of those, but but th- there's one in particular that that you and I are responsible for here in New England, which is the Advanced Manufacturing Hub, which is a global network of uh, organizations. Which where the forum itself, which also is a centralized, started out with a centralized organization, right, of, of the largest firms, so the likes of Stanley Black and Decker in in all fields, have realized a version of the same thing that you were saying, right, that if the entire World of industry is going to really take up industry 4.0. They also need to work in a distributed way, and these networks that we have uh, joined in with. um, Well, maybe you could just give your version. What What do you think uh, AmHub New England uh, is and should be doing, and and what are some of the things you're excited about that we are? starting to launch here because it's very new, right? It uh, got picked up last year, (laughs) launched under the worst possible conditions during a pandemic. I mean, try to launch a social network (laughs) during a pandemic and you'll you'll realize what a tricky task is. But anyway, we're year two, We're, we're into it. There's still a pandemic. And we're doing some virtual events. What, what are you excited about? Amhub New England, what, what is so, it
1: So I, I think the, 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 the wonderful thing about the network is that we're not, we're not the first ones at, at going at this, right? Um, it, this is an ever-expanding network um, within the World Economic Forum. And everyone knows the World Economic Forum, like you said, um, is a collection of all the, the leaders of the top companies. Um, and then, you know, we're focused on the manufacturing space. So we're talking about the top manufacturers in the world. Um, coming together um, and f- trying to figure this out, right? Um, and the advanced manufacturing hubs, um, I, I think we're probably close to 13 or so now um, in, in the network. Um, it, it changes numbers every now and again, but um, it's we're not the first, and we've definitely had the opportunity to learn from some of uh, our predecessors, right? Um, we've had others in the US um, that have been at this for uh, a couple of years before we have, um, that we're learning how they've integrated with um, public public um, organizations, so integrated with the county and the state and and um, and and nonprofit institutions in the region um, to be able to uh, go after their objectives. So that's one of the things that we're we're obviously trying to do: um, bring our public organizations and get them involved um, along with the private. Um, we've also recognized, and I think we've had a passion uh, within our own um, group here around upskilling. We recognize that this is a critical factor um, for um, enabling manufacturing in our region. Um, we, we need to not only deploy and, and get new technologies, but we also need to upskill our workforce um, to meet the demands of, of, of these new technologies in our environment. Um, so from my perspective, um, Trent, um, we, we have a lot of work to do. Um, we, we, we fortunately have a lot of manufacturers, most of them small, uh, within the region who are interested, who are um, enthusiastic um, about what the path ahead of us um, looks like. And um, I, I think, you know, within, within the next couple of months or next few months, as we continue to engage that community, um, we'll be able to um, provide them with more opportunities um, to 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 upskill and get to uh, where they need to be um, with respect to their workforce.
0: Yeah, and it's fascinating. I mean, you said the World Economic Forum has a bunch of related activities, but it's also true, and I just interviewed someone that's a podcast episode that's actually coming out this morning, who's on the panel that you are on, Michael Tamasi as well. So about manufacturing in New England, because clearly there's an established network and ecosystem Mm -hmm. here already, right? So we're building on, uh, you know, and this happens, I think, in all of the New England states and Connecticut for sure. You know, you and I have been engaging with some of the actors there. There's trade associations. There is state and federally funded organization, uh, organizations like the, MEP uh, system and, and various other kind of manufacturing networks. So, I mean, from m- my point of view, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of not substituting for all of this. It's just partnering with Absolutely. all of them and just trying to, uh, to join the efforts that they are already doing, but from the perspective of, of kind of a global picture. So it's getting, I, hopefully, if we succeed... The best of, of breed, essentially making sure that all of the activities that we are putting on you know make local sense here mm-hmm. in New England, showcase New England right so there's a, there's a, a, a showcasing aspect of this, and we have a lot I think to be proud of. I mean there's Stanley Black and Decker clearly a behemoth really in industri- industrial uh, tech and, and you know in, in, in the manufacturing sector worldwide. but there are a lot of other companies also startups, um, contributing and, and, you know, making headway. And then we have a lot to learn. Um, I wanted to maybe just discuss for a second, this event that we're putting on in June here on Israel meets new England. Uh, what do you think is, uh, the attraction of having two regions meet like that? Mm. So in this case, it's Israeli startups, but you know, In other events, you know, we might bring in, like you said, the Siri folks from Singapore who who we're working with to to measure, you know, progress and benchmark in the field. Or we could collaborate with even, you know, with Michigan, which is another, you know, major, major U.S. manufacturing hub. Or it could be, you know, Italy or Spain or some of, you know, many of the other networks that exist worldwide what do you think the attraction is to, to gain that kind of regional? Oh
1: yeah. I, mean, I I think, you know, over time we've recognized um, that there gone are the days when you, when we think innovation is, is restricted to a, a particular country or region or anything like that. Right. I think we're very much an aligned on the fact that technology and um, innovation in the industry 4.0 space is not restricted. Um, so, it makes sense that when we think about sharing of best practices, that we, we go all over the world. And that's a part, part of the reason why, if you think about the World Economic Forum, it has a global um, network of uh, advanced manufacturing hubs. Right, um, Each hub may focus um, a little bit uh, differently on, on slightly different topics. Some will overlap. But they are also tapping into um, the, the expertise and the, um, the, the ideas from their local regions with the intent that we will go across regions and share with each other. Um, so this upcoming event, um, I think, is, 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 a, is a wonderful one. Um, sponsored by um, the Advanced Manufacturing Hub here um, uh, in that it's allowing us to see Um, a couple of, um, you know, or have a conversation with a couple of, um, you know, um, innovators from another region, and in this situation it's Israel, um, but in the future we will um, use um, other uh, regions as well Um, to to bring them in, um, hear a little bit more about what they've been working on, what has been important in their region, which might be slightly different from us, um, and and then, you know, have a bit of a discourse between us um, around, um, you know, what the future holds Um, for um, technology and innovation in general.
0: well let, let me profit from from that segue into the future what what is next for you in the digital factory and uh, you know what does the next decade look like uh, for you in in terms of uh, i guess your own business connected industrial tools perhaps mm-hmm. you know you're very very engaged with the, the networks and the maker movement and and you know broadly your your thoughts on kind of industrial tech and where where, where that's heading and maybe even some comment on the on this upskilling challenge that you mentioned. I mean, what what will happen to all of these things? It's a it's a mixed bag of challenges. They're 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 all somewhat related, right? You can't have progress in technology without a skilled labor force and all that stuff, um, and somewhat dependent on technology development. But what do you see happening here? Are we entering at least at the very least a decade where manufacturing will leap forward somewhat faster than it has done before? Will it sort of start to change this impression that manufacturing is hard and, <laughs> and difficult, and you know we're dealing with a, a slow-moving kind of uh, uh, system, or, or or do you see that that's going to still be the case, you know, in the?
1: I'm, I'm the quite years. optimistic. I think I think um, based on what I've seen, at least, even over the past three years, I think uh, the, the way that um, uh, manufacturing has moved. Um, it, it, it's, it gives me optimism that, you know, there, there will be a significant leap um, in, in what we're doing um, going forward, right? Um, there was, it took a little bit of time, um, as I said, from 2011 till about maybe 2016, 17, for people to start to really gain um, a certain amount of interest and get past a bit of skepticism, right? At this point, there are enough proven use cases across the board um that that individual companies and individuals recognize that this is this is this is not just um, a shiny new object or fly by night um, uh, use case. these are things that are here to stay and will be critical to business going forward right um so I think as a result of that um, first of all um, there will be um you know quite a bit of acceleration of efforts. The second thing is um we decry the pandemic and, and its effects and, and, and everything else, but I have to say that um, there are certain mindsets that have been shifted as a result of the experience. Okay? There's, 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 there's more of a need um, and, and uh, interest around being able to monitor and, and, and uh, your remote operations. So now people are more interested in connectivity. Right, um, than, than they were before. They're 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 more interested in insights and analytics than they were before, because now they can't necessarily be um, by the machine, by the production process, by the by the production line, twenty four seven or twenty four hours a day, right? Um, but instead, they can benefit from all of these technologies that will allow them to get the most out of their equipment. Um, they also recognize that you know a workforce how important the workforce is um we always decry automation as 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 taking away jobs but i'll say no um in fact um the studies that have been uh, have been done that uh, they, they show that those who lead in innovation actually also um have an uptick in 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 workforce um of of some 50% right uh, instead of what, the, instead of what the, the opposite, which is what the myth would, would, would typically um, uh, tell you. So all of these things coming together, um, I think, will help us um, move forward quicker um, going forward. And then the third piece um, that, that I mentioned, finally, around ups, upskilling um, going forward. It's absolutely critical that we upskill our workforce. Um, in, in the U.S., um, you know, for many years, and we've seen the, the, the charts and, 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 and the data around the amount of um, retiring workers in the manufacturing sector, right? So we have a lot, a lot of um, skills and knowledge that will believe in manufacturing and have already left. So to replace those individuals, we need individuals who will, who are of the younger, um, younger um, uh, demographic who will one come in with knowledge of processes, but the ones that are coming in, they're not interested in our grandfather's factory. They're more interested in, um, you know, what can I do differently in this space with the use of technology and innovation um, to do, um, you know, twice as much work um, in, in half as much time. Right, um, which is a good thing, we want them to come in with that mindset, and I think um, with the advancements in technologies we'll be able to do that. Um, but what will be critical is to be able to upskill them, give them the right skill sets around these technologies, around the production processes, as well as there's going to be um, a, a tremendous amount of marketing and PR um, to get folks interested in manufacturing, um, because manufacturing mm-hmm. is is a is a very exciting sector. It's buzzing, um, and it actually has quite a lot of open jobs, frankly, um, that need to be filled, but we need to upskill individuals to fill those jobs.
0: You have just listened to episode 27 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trul Narni The topic was Industry 4.0 Tools and Analytics. Our guest was Carl B. March. Director of Industry 4.0 at Stanley Black & Decker. In this conversation, we talked about what Industry 4.0 means, the importance of upskilling the entire manufacturing industry, and the lessons from Stanley Black & Decker's digital transformation journey. My takeaway is that Industry 4.0 requires a mindset shift, not just technology adoption. It's not just about you, whether you in this case is a big company or a top leader. Rather, it is about bringing people, partners, SMEs, and the entire ecosystem along. To do so, openness to learn, having a strategic roadmap, so not to chase all shiny objects, and investing in lighthouse factories that can illuminate the possibilities are each important ingredients. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player. And rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 20, The Digitalization of Kerber. Episode 14, Bottom-Up and Deep Digitalization of Operations. And episode 9, The Fourth Industrial Revolution Post-COVID-19. Augmented, upskilling the workforce for Industry 4.0 Frontline Operations.